Awesome. Hi. Thank you guys for coming. We are doing generational, breaking generational junk, which I think is a really fun title. And so um, here's what we're not doing. We're not doing like a huge, well, come on. I've got some more people coming. I'm going to wait until they hop in real quick. Come in. I'm going to give it just a second. So who here like loves the idea of breaking generational junk? You're like ready to go after it because you're super familiar with it already. Awesome. Who? I love you. Okay. Cool. Wow. Okay. We got more people coming. Um, who is like, that sounds really weird, and I have no idea what she's going to talk about. Anybody of those? No. Awesome. Okay, good. All right. So, I am basically going to start with the fact that it's a real thing, and a lot of times in the church we don't recognize that it's a real thing, or we get so into it, like, oh my gosh, I've got to like dig up all these skeletons in the closets and make sure that I've done everything that I can to break these curses, and we get so... Spin up, spun out on that side that we end up just uh, being exhausted instead of recognizing what we actually have the authority to take care of in the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, I had a story that I wanted to share with you guys that Jana had said, hey, that's really good. Will you share that at the unveiling? And then we're going to walk out just some practicals for how you do the exchange. Like, here's the thing. You get stuff from your family rightfully. A lot of those veils that we've been talking about you get from your mama and your grandmama just the way you get your curly hair and your brown eyes and your button nose because it gets passed down in the generations. And I think that gets passed down through practice. I think it gets passed down um, genetically in cases. They've done studies where trauma is actually passed down. Like survivors of the Holocaust, their grandkids still have the genes that are dealing with trauma. It's amazing. Like the Bible says in Exodus 25 through 6, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, other idols, that's veils, things that come between you and me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I used to think that was super unfair. Like, I didn't do that, so how come I've got to deal with that? And I think what the Lord is saying is, it gets passed down. So that's why it's visiting. You didn't do it, but you're... In the same way that if your grandmama passes away and you've got a basement full of her junk, you have to figure out what to do with it. Are you going to keep it? Is it going to be your treasure? Or are you going to trash it because it's not yours? You're not the one who had that. And so in the same way that you get stuff from your family, you also get stuff from your Heavenly Father. The reason that is, when the Lord says you're born again, that actually means something. Like you get the DNA of heaven. You get everything that belongs to Jesus. So just like Katie was saying, if it's not on him it's not on you and so the key to that is just going recognizing what the junk is and how it's affected my life and how it's affected the way that I relate to myself and the way that I relate to the Lord and the relate that I relate to other people and what are the implications of that and then doing a intentional exchange going I'm breaking my lining up my agreeing with this my it's always been this way And I'm saying no to that. I'm going to forgive the offenders, because that's a big piece. And I'm going to instead step over here and go, I'm taking 
everything that is my rightful inheritance in Jesus. And so that's where we're going with this. Um, so the story, I'm just going to share a story from my life because if it, if the Lord talks to me this way, he'll talk to you this way. And it's going to sound a little unusual, maybe, maybe not. And if you have questions along the way, feel free to ask. And then we're going to kind of break down how we walk through this practically. My um, husband and I have a habit of asking the Lord for something for Christmas. And this year we wanted to ask him for a baby. And I really kind of felt like the Lord had said yes. And we knew that when we were going to find out would be around Christmas Eve. And so um, we were very hopeful that that was going to be our Christmas gift this year. So a week or so before Christmas, we have this encounter. We'd gone over to his old family property and we were cleaning out the junk and the valuables from one of the houses because the family member who lived there no longer lives there. And so um, it's abandoned and dark, and Will went, hey, will you come over here because it's creepy as hell over here? I went, yeah, I'll come over. So we got the stuff that we needed to to take home that we didn't want to leave there. And so when we came home that night, um, my husband went to sleep, and he woke up in the middle of the night and just dead awake, had a horrible, horrible nightmare. Um, And he dreams a lot anyway, but this was different. This was, um, it it was just different. And so he goes, Laura, oh my gosh, I just don't know what to do with this. And I went, well, tell me the dream. And so he said, I was in the dream. I was talking to my grandmother and my grandmother kept looking at me and going, you can't be with Laura. You're not good enough to be with Laura. You're not worth, you know, all of these lies. And he eventually looked at the thing and went, you're not real. My grandmother's dead. And immediately in the dream, this thing turned into a demon and started trying to claw his face off. It was terrifying. And so later in the dream, he's trying to drive away from the family property, and this thing keeps trying to cut him off at the highways. Again, terrifying. And so he's in the dream back at our house, standing at the door, and these little children demons are trying to get into our house. And he's at the door, keeping them off away. And then says, Laura, Laura, go get the guns. So I apparently go get the big guns. And then he wakes up. And so... (laughs) Anyway, I I don't know if you guys know this. The Lord does talk through dreams. And my husband's not always used to, like, just listening to the Lord on the fly. But he dreams a lot. So that's one of the ways that they can connect. So, um... Normally, I only get interpretations for my dreams. This time, the Lord gave me a download about his, and he went, Laura, this is generational. Like, you were just on the family property. You just brought stuff back to your house from there. And the lie of you're not worthy, you can't be with her, isn't about you. It's about me. It's about intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's about relationship. And that's true. I know that that's where the enemy tries to get at my husband. It's like, you're not picked, you're not chosen, you don't get to hear me the way everybody else does. So we recognized that part. And the part that was really cool was when Will identified the lie, the lie showed itself and tried to attack his identity. Okay, we know what's happening in the spirit here. Like the Lord gave him in a dream a vision of what's actually happening in the spiritual realm, right? And so after it was trying to claw his face off, Will's trying to go down the road. Roads talk about destination, destiny. The enemy is trying to, like, cut that off and stop him. That's something that has been a thing in certain parts of the family is people just stopping short of coming full, you know, to where they want to be. And so 
um, just going, all right, we're, we see that the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy and cut that off. And then back at our house going, he's setting a boundary at the door. We make an agreement for our property that's different than what his family did. And then him going, and then I went, and Will, you got the gun. He goes, no, you got the gun. And the Lord goes, that's right, you got the gun. <laughs> so, so there's a piece of it where you have to realize you're a co-heir. Like you just can't wait for him to like have all the answers. If the Lord gave you the gun, go get the damn gun. So I was like, oh, okay. And the Lord goes, you're the one who has this. And I went, okay. So I looked at my husband. We're awake now. We're sitting in the bed. We're talking this out. And I said, I think the Lord has given you a dream of what's actually happening in the spiritual realm. Like this is old generational junk and we need to make a break and set some boundaries. Do you mind if we get the guns that I know how to use and do some physical, tangible actions to, um, what am I trying to say? Make space for a spiritual truth, right? And so he goes, sure. So my husband, who is not like a get up in the middle of the night guy, is like up. So we decided we were going to go do communion and worship because whenever the enemy's after your identity, that's the first place you want to start, is getting back to the Lord going, all right, your blood washes me, I'm in you, you're in me, who do you say I am, and worshiping. And then we also went through, okay, is there anything we need to confess? Like, have we left some doors open here that are just inviting spiritual attack because we've been lazy, you know? And the Lord convicted me of some places I needed to deal with unforgiveness, so we did that. And I asked my husband, I went, is there anything else going on, you know, um, any other places? And he goes, well, you know what, in that journal that we brought home, a picture fell out and it was pornographic and I didn't stay and look at it, but it is there. And I went, great, we need to burn that. That doesn't belong in the house. And so um, we started the fire and we burned that and I'm watching, and we're not burning the whole journal, we're just burning the picture, right? And so as I'm watching it burn, I'm like, yes, that's where porn belongs in the fires of hell. (laughs) The Lord goes, no, 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 that's not... That's not where it belongs. Porn belongs in the fire of my love because I burn up everything that's a counterfeit. And I'm not going to let you settle for less than my white hot holy passion for you. So, like, that's a real tangible, here's a coping mechanism that can often get passed down. And the Lord is giving you something else instead. So I shared that with my husband. So after we did that, we took some time to pray and just go, okay, what are the things that we see? And guys, you got to just know this is level. Like every family has blessings that you love that you're going, man, I want some of that. I want their work ethic. I want their kindness. I want their hospitality. And you also have junk that you're going, yeah, I don't want that. I'm doing that differently. So um, we just walked through some of those things. And one of the things that my husband said as we were praying was, I learned a lot of doubt and skepticism from that side. And I am renouncing that and I'm trading that in for relationship which was the thing that was under attack because that's the piece that I want and I still have doubts and I don't know how it all works but I'm taking relationship instead so he made that like a declaration that we did out loud together and then we walked around our house and we just literally set a boundary and went holy spirit this is your property and everything else just has to stay off and we put oil over the doors and Will goes looks like you've done this before. I, went, I did when I moved in as a bride. And I went, okay. So, but we got to do it together, which was a really cool thing because we were doing it as co-heirs. And the Lord whispered, how'd you like your Christmas present? And I went, I loved it. I loved it. That was awesome. So then Christmas came and so did my period. 
and we were not pregnant, and that was really hard. And as I took some time to fuss with the Lord about that later and going, I thought, what am I doing wrong? How come this isn't working? I'm going to be too old. Man, man, man. And we had this whole conversation. But the one thing that he said out of that was, Laura, I've made you good soil. I'm healing the seed. And I don't mean like literal eggs and sperm, but going the spiritual work, the Christmas present that I did give you, the work that you're doing about generational junk makes a difference. Like it makes a tangible physical difference to the generations that are coming because in the same way that trauma, like we talk about GMOs and genetically modified organisms all the time. So in the same way that trauma can be imprinted, so can healing. So can the work that you do in the spirit. It makes a difference. And the scripture says that lasts to a thousand generations or more. And like, I get excited about that because a lot of times in the West, we're like, well, it does like the idea of like generations and bloodline and the spiritual work having a difference. Like it's not just your body, it's your family and it's your people around you. And like we're body, soul and spirit and the Lord's healing and redeeming the whole package. And the reason it matters is like, I don't know if you were just. If our bodies were getting scrapped like styrofoam cups and we were just spirits floating in the air in heaven, it wouldn't make a difference that he's got somebody from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. But there is a reason that you and your family carry an image of God that nobody else can carry. And the enemy knows what that is, and he tries to wipe that out with crap. And so the work that you do to go, I'm not taking that crap. I am going to take who the Lord says I am makes a difference eternally because you're the only one that represents that piece of his face in heaven. Does that make sense? So that's why I get excited about doing this work. So the Lord was talking about um, just what are some of the common generational crap that we get, right? Like what does this look like a lot? And so uh, where did my notes go? Thank you so much. All right. So some of the basics um, that I just find are common with a lot of the people that I talk to. You can have a spirit. Oh, here's the other thing I wanted to say. You can have like a spiritual stronghold that's demonic, like Jana was talking about. And that's something that you just have to know you have the authority and the power to cast out. Right. And then you can have habits that you've built because you've been comfortable with these things for a while. And those are things that the Lord has to do with the transforming and renewing of your mind. So you have to have both. You have to do the work to go, this is junk and I am divorcing you. I am getting rid of you. And then you have to do the work to go, I'm going to practice walking out and becoming everything that I already am. Does that make sense? So um, spirit of religion is one that I think is real common in this area. And if you don't know what that is, anything that says... I have to do something or not do something in order to be okay with God. That's a spirit of religion because it's adding, it's not Jesus, like it's adding something to the work that Jesus already did. So if you're thinking, well, I can't dress like this or I can't go to this kind of movie or I have to shine up and look a certain way, that's a religious spirit. If it's, I have to always read my Bible or I have to always do this like certain checklist, that's a religious spirit. And that's not what the Lord has for you. So that's an area that the Lord has worked in my life to go. I'm breaking agreement with that, and I'm going to be who he says I am apart from my performance, right? Uh, Another common one is poverty. And when I was going, Lord, how do you even define that? Because it's not just, hey, I don't have enough money. 
or I, I live in a you know, bad section of town. Um, that poverty spirit or poverty mentality is there's not enough for me. Like, I'm left out. Um, there's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough friendship. And you always live in this sense of less than. Does that? And if anybody here goes and or has a better definition, please pipe up. But um, so taking that, divorcing that sense of less than and going, if that is not true, if that's a lie that I've inherited because my family has always done it that way. And guess what? If your family's always done it that way, God's always been his way a whole lot longer. So like, get over here, you know? So anyway, like that's another common one. If any of these pings, start writing them down because you just want to take the time to go, Lord, what have I held on to and what are the implications? Um, rejection is another one. Like, I'm not loved. I don't belong. That can look like with family. That can look like with friends. That can look like with your job, with your teams, with your church. And here's how this can, here's like how this can break out. For example, my great-grandfather was a doctor, and he abandoned his wife while she was dying of cancer and married somebody else, right? Abandonment. My grandfather felt rejected. My granddaddy stayed with his wife, but he was gone all the time on work. He coped with alcohol, and he was emotionally absent for my mom. My mom had a lot of people that just disappeared from her life. Like, when the enemy knows there's a soft, like a sore spot that they've hit your family before, it's like sharks in the water when you're bleeding. They try to hit it again. And it may look different, but like that's the thing. That's the pattern that comes after. And the beautiful thing with my mom was that the first verse the Lord ever gave her was, I won't leave you nor forsake you. That was her, that was her first thing. So that, she did the work to break the pattern and change that story for us. And I was still around when she had some crappy friends that abandoned us. And I had to deal with forgiveness too, but she changed the narrative in that she didn't blame God and go, I'm always rejected. I'm always left out. You can never trust women. You can never trust God. Do you see the difference? Like how you stop the pattern? Thank you. My mom is here. So um, anyway, another one that he was talking about that I've run into in lots of conversations with friends is just a pattern of sexual perversion. And that can be anything from I was abused or I was I'm confused about identity or I'm completely shut down. It's anything that twists the way you reflect God as a man or a woman, you know, and that that's another one. It's a big deal. So um, I think what the Lord is inviting us to do instead of like you have to see it. And then you get to choose to do something with it, right? And you're not going to stand over here and go, oh, 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 I just don't know. I'm powerless. And you're not going to get into a frenzy digging for all this stuff. And you're not going to go, well, Jesus was supposed to take care of that on all the cross, so I don't have to do anything about it, right? Wrong. He did everything that you need. And as his co-heir and his queen, he requires that you respond and do something with it, right? He said something about that. What does he say? What did he say? Oh, he said... God didn't take us out of slavery, being mindless minions to sin, and then just make us mindless minions in the kingdom. He elevates us as his friends, lovers, co-heirs, and co-rulers, and so he requires that we participate with him as such, and he empowers us to participate with him as such. So he paid a whole lot for your free will. 
is that five minutes until Q&A time or five minutes like I need to shut up now time? Um, five minutes Okay, awesome. I love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Yes. That last thing you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I'm going back to the scripture where the Lord scripture where the Lord goes, You're no longer a slave. Like, no, that's the song. Well, that's scripture too. It is scripture too. I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Right? Galatians 5 also. It's for freedom that you've been set free. And so the idea being when you were a slave in sin, you have like zero power, zero say. Right? And so when the Lord died to set us free, he didn't just pick us up from being slaves here to being slaves over here. Right? Like when he took them out of Egypt, he didn't take them from being slaves that had, you know, had to make stuff, bricks without straw and no food and all that crap, to being slaves again in the promised land. He gave them an inheritance and land and gardens and dominions and things that they were supposed to rule over, right? So in the same way, like that's a picture, that when he takes us out, he calls us, we're bond slaves, but that's somebody that like chooses to be with someone because they love them, Right? And so he calls us friends. That's in John. He calls us the beloved. That's in John. That's in Song of Solomon. He calls us co-heirs and co-rulers. That's in Romans, I think. Anyway, so that's um, the idea being that he paid a lot for you to participate in this relationship thing, in this rulership thing. And so that's why it matters that you get to choose whether I'm going to go hang out with all this crap because it's comfortable or whether I'm going to go, you know, I'm tired of that and I'm going to take who he really says I am and do the hard work because it really makes a difference. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Jesus, where did we leave off? Oh, so key when you're doing the trade because he gave me this download this morning. We're going to get ready here to just do some practical Lord, what am I seeing? Let's, let's trade that. But I was just thinking of it in terms of an exchange, like Isaiah 61, I give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and the Lord went, you're missing a big piece, and that big piece is forgiveness, because if there's generational junk, there's somebody who's done an offense, you actually have to forgive them, and like let go of the right to be angry and to have vengeance at the offense that they did in order for you to be able to receive what the Lord has for you. And this was just what he dropped in my spirit this morning. He said, it is impossible to receive the freedom that God has for you if you're hanging on to the right to keep the offender captive to your vengeance. And he said, do you realize that my blood sets you free not only from your sin, but also from the weight of the sins that were committed against you? I died for your freedom, and you can't be free if you're holding the weight of somebody else's judgment. He was just talking about, I'm your judge. And I'm your advocate, and I'm the only one that can judge rightly between you and the person who has offended you. And so forgiveness isn't saying, hey, this was okay, and it's not saying it doesn't matter. It's not saying it doesn't hurt. It's not even saying, hey, I trust you, and I'm going to be back in relationship with you. What it's doing is saying, I release you to the Lord to do justice on my behalf. I'm letting go of this pain and angst that I'm holding on to so that I can be free to receive everything that the Lord's given me. So, anyway, uh, that is actually all that I had 
on the what it is and like how to walk it through. And so I wanted to take a few minutes and go, does anybody have massive questions? I'll try to answer them. And then I want us to do some journaling. I left you a piece of paper on your chair that we're going to go through because this is really the most important 15 minutes is just asking the Lord what's the veil that he wants to remove. And remember that, like Katie said, anything that keeps you from seeing him for who he is or who you are, being exactly like Jesus is a veil. Ask the Lord to show you the generational patterns and how it's affected your life and the way that you relate to God and to your others and to yourself. And ask the Lord what he's giving you instead. And it'd be really good if you would take a minute to like listen and write that down and date it because it's going to be important. And then I want us to take some time, like you can fill in these blanks and like the Lord may give you one thing. He may give you several things. He may give you one thing and you're not really ready to do this process yet. And that's okay too. Um, But I want to just invite you to start the conversation going, Lord, I renounce whatever it is that he gives you as a veil. My family did. It affected the way that I see you like this. It affected the way that I see me like this. And this isn't who you say I am. And so I'm going to break agreement with that in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to forgive my family for what they did. And I'm going to ask you to stop this in my bloodline because of what Jesus did on the cross. And as your daughter, you're telling me that you're giving me this instead. And I'm agreeing with you that I'm this because of Jesus. And I'm giving you permission to start bringing that word to fruition in my life. Because there's going to be this moment of transaction. And then there's going to be the process of bringing that to fruition, right? And you want to, on purpose, give him permission to do that and say yes. Um, So I'm going to give us time to actually do that. I'm going to play some worship music. But before we start, does anybody, did I blow anybody up? And do you have anybody question, any questions before we do? Does anybody have an extra pen for Kate? What? I would, except it's in my purse, which is upstairs. Yes. We're women. Of course we have an extra pen. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad because I didn't bring one. Okay. So, Lord, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff to think about. But you are so good to just come in and so kindly walk into the junky basement that we inherited from our grandparents and go, hey, let me shine a light on this and let me show you this because you don't need this anymore. And this is who you are. And these are patterns and how these things have robbed you. And I'm tired of you getting stolen from. So we're going we're gonna to do something with this. And so, Lord, we just give you permission in this quiet and this minute to, on purpose, take a look around our hearts and show us places that we have been agreeing with lies or that we've been settling for the way it's always been in our families and taking that on as our own instead of taking on what you say about us is true. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and meet us in this place. Nobody's trying to make anything up or um, make something happen, but we're opening our hearts for you to show up and show us things that don't belong and to do an intentional transaction and an exchange that is going to bring transformation both to our hearts and to our generations to come. And we just love you. Thank you. Amen. Just going through our religion, which says um, I have to do something or not do something in order to be okay with God. Um, Poverty, which says there's not enough for me 
like enough time, enough resources, enough money, enough friendship, they're doing successfully, that means I can't because there's not enough to go around, that kind of thing. You live in a sense of less than. Um, rejection says I'm not loved and I don't belong. And that can show up with God or with family or friends or anywhere, really. Um, and then sexual perversion is anything that twists the way that I reflect the image of God as a man or as a woman. And there's more, like the Lord could give you something different, but those were just the four that are common that he brought to my heart because those, those four will really get you wonky in the head about how you see the Lord, right? If you think you have to do something to please him, it's really hard to um, receive his affection and his intimacy, right? Because performance is the opposite of intimacy. And if you're always living in less than, then it's really hard for you to receive his abundance and his kindness and his favor. And if you're dealing with rejection, you, it's really hard to like, be like, I'm completely accepted in the beloved right where I am. And if you're dealing with sexual perversion, it's hard to go, I'm a woman and I reflect God and this is how I reflect God and it's worth something and it's valuable. So like, if, if you can get those four basics down, he may show you other stuff and that, like, those four might not be your four, but they're common and I think they're really important because that's, it, it, it's key places of how we relate to him and how we see ourselves. That's all. And what was the thing that God showed you this morning? Ah, the forgiveness thing? Yep, that was fun. Um, he said, it is impossible to receive the freedom that God has for you if you are hanging on the, to the right to keep your offender captive to your vengeance. Do you realize that my blood, Jesus' blood, set you free not only from your sin, but also from the weight of the sins committed against you? Like, I used to think, well, he forgave me and he forgave you too, and that really kind of pisses me off. But he forgave me, he forgave you too, and he paid for the weight of my own sin, but he paid for me to not have to carry the weight of your wronging against me. Like, I don't have to be captive to that anymore. I don't have to bring justice. I don't have to duke it out for myself. Because when you don't forgive, you're keeping your own heart captive, right? So um, he died for your freedom, and you can't be free if you're holding the weight of somebody else's judgment. Anything else? Okay. I am going to grab my phone back from Megan and start some worship music. And you guys just.